0: new world hey. outside the window, beautiful and strange. Last weekend, we had the uh, big snow, and that's a big time at our house. Our girls get so excited uh, when it snows. And so uh, they knew they did everything to make that happen. They wore their pajamas inside out, they put a spoon under their pillow, and ice in the toilet. And sure enough, on Friday morning, when they woke up, there was snow. And so they were just so, so excited. And so, what we do when it snows is we call all our friends in the neighborhood, we all just kind of head over. There's a big baseball field. not far from us, huge hill, and so we go sledding. And it is a fun time. My wife, I think, loves it more than anybody else. She is just like the professional sledder. She gets so excited about it, so we bundle everybody up and we head out to go sledding. And we had some great snow for sledding, by the way. I hope you got to go and be a part of that. Uh, But we were there last year when it snowed just a little bit. My five-year-old daughter, Kate, uh, our youngest one, she wasn't much into sledding, okay? I mean, she was kinda like I don't know about this, she got out there, kind of checked it out, then she got back in the car where it was warm and she had goldfish and an iPad and she was happier there in the car, you know, and so we'd be like, come on, come on, she's like, nah. You know, she just kicked back, she was having a good time watching all of us out there sledding. But this year, something changed. Now, I don't know what it was, but she was like totally committed. She was like, I'm into it, I'm doing it, and so I got a picture of her, she came out here, she was ready to go. She was bundled up, and she got out, and she's like, let's do it. And so here's Kate sledding right here. Here she goes. Go by yourself, girl. Uh, watch out below. Watch out. That's my wife right there. <laughs> Kate almost knocking people over. There's a creek down there, by the way. I'm like, I hope she stops before she gets there, (laughs) and thankfully she did, but uh, we had the best time, and she was going crazy, she just wanted to go over and over again, and after two and a half hours, I'm like, I'm ready to go in, you know, I'm walking up this hill, I'm bringing your sleds, and stuff. but she just kept going and kept going, and we had some friends from church who had one of those blow-up inner tubes, you know what I'm talking about, and that thing flew down the hill, I mean, it was like the fastest one, and so Kate wanted it every time, and we were all having to try to share it. Well, right toward the end, there was a big wind gust that came, and and it took the inner tube, and the inner tube was like going away, and people are kicked back, you know, like a lot of adults were up there watching from the cars, you know, and and other people were like, there goes the tube, there goes the tube, and I'm watching the tube as it's heading to go over and down the hill, and Kate, our six-year-old, she's going after that tube, so she takes off running like full steam, and I'm like oh no, I mean I could see her like tumbling down and so I get out, I'm running after her and she's just flying and it gets right to the edge and the inner tube's about to go over and Kate just supermans it, I mean she just like goes and she's flying through the air and she reaches out and she lands face first in the snow but one hand is on the tube and I run over there and she's not moving but she's got the inner tube and I'm just like oh no, you know, this is gonna end bad but I pick her up and I look at her and she's got snow all over her face and I go Kate, you got the tube. How was that? She goes, that was fun, Daddy. (laughs) She was so into it. Well, welcome back to our series. We're at the conclusion of this great series called Brand New. And in this series, it's been so good that God's challenging us to live brand new, to live different. And we see this from our scripture memory verse, which said, hey, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That in our lives, right, the old should be gone. The new should come. There should be something different about us in the way that we live. And we started this year with this series because so many people start with New Year's resolutions about, you know, finances and getting out of debt or losing weight and all those things are fine. But we said it spiritually, that impacts everything else. And we're called to be brand new in Christ. Now, how does that happen? Well, one, we're redeemed by Christ. It's what Christ does for us. I'm glad you're at church, but it's not church. It's, it's Christ, you know. I mean, I'm glad if your family is, knows Jesus, praise God. But it's Christ who changes your heart, who transforms your life, that you are redeemed by Christ. That's where discipleship begins. And then you're fueled by the Holy Spirit. As God draws you to Himself and invites you into this relationship with Him, God places His Holy Spirit within you. And his deposit guaranteeing your eternity with Christ. Praise God. And the great part about the Holy Spirit is you have access to the Lord. It's not that you have to go to a priest or somebody else to say, hey, would you pray for me? It's okay to have other people pray for you. but, But you have access to God. God hears your prayers. God leads you. God guides you. The Holy Spirit in you is your guide and your comforter. And then we talked about the third week that you're inspired to grow. That God wants you to mature in your faith. He wants me to mature in my faith. That, that we move from being a spiritual child to a spiritual young man to a spiritual father. That we're called to grow. And, and I hope and pray that you're not in the same place spiritually now that you were a year ago. Or five years ago. That you are growing and that you're maturing. See, things that are alive grow. You know, things that are dead don't grow. So we're inspired to grow. Last week we talked about how we're driven by love. Driven by love. What drives you? And for most of the society what drives them is money, right? Or fame or recognition or how many likes I get on Instagram or you know, I mean there's a lot of things that compel people, but as a disciple of Christ, what should compel you and what should compel me is love. And every day if I wake up and I say, you know what, today I'm going to love God more and I'm going to love the people around me more. I'm going to be the husband or the father or the wife or the mother, the roommate, the friend, the coworker that God's called me to be. I'm going to impact people with love. Hey, you've had a great day. If you live that kind of life and you love well, you're driven by love. And then today we're talking about this, that you're totally committed. There's a lot of people who love to kick back in the car and eat goldfish and watch as everybody else kind of gets involved and God's going, no, come on. It's so fun. Jump in. There's a lot of people that want a little bit of God, and then they want a lot of work, right, and a lot of kids, and they want a a lot of family and a lot of things and a lot of Netflix. But I got my little God over here, and God's going, oh, no, 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 no. I want you to be totally committed because that's where you see the miracles happen. That's when your spiritual life comes alive. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. Maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online at uVersion and follow along with us, or also we'll put the scripture on the screen. But John chapter 6. Now I just want to set the context for you. When you get to John chapter 6, Jesus has rock star status. I mean, he's, you know, everywhere he goes, there's a huge crowd people are following him everywhere. John 6 opens with 5,000 men. Now that doesn't even include the women and children. So I mean, you think of 20,000 plus people there. And Jesus is teaching the crowd and people have come from everywhere. and They're wanting to hear Jesus. They're wanting to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus do a miracle. And, and, and Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, hey guys, we've got to feed these, this, this crowd here. You know, I mean, they, Many people have walked for days. They're hungry. And They go, well, Jesus, it would take eight months' wages to feed them. And he says, well, what do you have? And they say, well, we got this little boy over here. He's got five loaves and two fish. But that's not enough. And Jesus goes, well, don't forget about me. (laughs) You you got me. Bring me that. What does he do? He blesses it. He multiplies it. And the entire entire crowd eats to their full, the Bible says. And then they pick up 12 basketfuls afterwards. And the crowd's going crazy. They're like, whoa, free food, right? When I was in college, if you had free food, I would go. I mean, I'll just tell you right now. I mean, if it was a pizza buffet, I'm there. You know, if it's free, it's like, yeah. Everybody's like, come on. I want to be a part of that. I want to jump in. And they try to make Jesus king. And Jesus slips off. And we're going to pick up over here verse 25 of John chapter 6. And it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You like the free food. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Jesus goes, you're just here to see the show, Right? you just want the free food? Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, To believe in the one he has sent. Jesus goes, Guys, here it is. I'm the Messiah. The one you've been waiting for. the The Savior of the world. And so they asked him, "Well, What miraculous sign then will you give That we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat." Now, what are they referring to here? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, you remember the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And God sent a deliverer, Moses. Moses goes and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. You know, that's what God says. And, and he leads these people out of this land of slavery, and he's, they're on a journey to the Promised Land. Well, they spend some time in the desert. And what grows in a desert? Nothing, right? So how does God sustain his people? He rains down manna from heaven. So they wake up, they walk out of their tent, and there sure enough is this bread-like substance that's come down, almost like dew, and they could pull it together and pack it together, and they ate this manna. God sustained his people. And they were like, well, we had, our forefathers had this manna in the desert. Remember Moses? And Jesus said to them, "I, I tell you the truth, it was not Moses who had given the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, this is the first of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. You may remember but when Moses was going to deliver the people back in the Old Testament and God called him and met him at the burning bush and and Moses goes, well, who am I supposed to say sent me? And God says, tell them I am who I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you. So that's the name of God, I am. Well, now Jesus takes it and he says, I am the bread of life. Right? Your forefathers ate manna, but they died. and God sustained them for a while, but they all died. I am the bread of life, and he who who comes to me will never grow hungry again. He who comes to me will never be thirsty again. You have eternal life in me. I am. Jesus is making it so clear. I don't want you to miss this. It's about me. It's Christ and Christ alone. He'll say later on, right, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the the vine, I am the gate, I am the shepherd, I am the resurrection, I am the way and the truth and the life. Let's skip over with me to verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. And they're probably all going, what? You what you? What are you talking about? We were talking about manna. We were talking about... The free food thing, you know, the fish and the loaves. What are, what are you talking about? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What is Jesus talking about? He's foreshadowing communion, isn't he? The Lord's Supper, a relationship with him. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father has sent me, And I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So he's saying, guys, it's not just about religion. It's about a relationship. It's about knowing me, having a relationship with me. On hearing this, Many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? They're like, we like the whole free food thing, you know? Do another miracle. Do another cool deal, Jesus, right? You know, give us something to eat. This is hard teaching. It's about you, a Savior, Uh, my sin, having to admit that. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not want to believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And then look at verse 66. I think this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. But It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. From this time, many of his disciples said, no, no way. We don't want that whole relationship thing, right? We don't want it to impact our lives and the way we live. We like showing up and then getting the free food. We're all for that, but, but we don't want to follow. A lot of people get into numerology and go, see, look, John 6, 66, 666. 6, 6, you know, but I, Those verses and chapters were added later. But the fact is this, a lot of people turn back and walked away. Verse 67, Jesus said, "You, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. We believe, notice that, and know. We know. There's a relationship there. There's something deeper. You see, the fact is that Jesus wasn't interested in the crowds. Jesus is interested in disciples. Jesus is interested in disciples. And a lot of times in churches, we can fall into this mindset, hey, I want to have a big crowd, you know, and, and that's how we measure church. Is there, how many people are there and all this? And, and yet what you see is that Jesus is going, no, 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 that, that's me. I love people, but what I'm interested in is disciples. I'm interested in people who are going to follow. I'm interested in people who are totally committed, who are, who are sold out who are trusting, who are walking with me, who are experiencing the life that I came to give. One day Jesus was teaching, and this, what the Bible calls a rich young ruler, came up to Jesus. It was a guy who was wealthy, you know, he grew up in the church, back in the temple in those days. and, And he comes up to Jesus, he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well... You grew up there, you know, you know what, what, is, what does the Bible say? You know, keep the commandments. And the guy goes, I've done it. I've kept all the commandments. I've checked all the boxes, right? I've done all the religion. I've got my gold stars. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Have you ever thought about that? That When Jesus looks at you, he loves you. He looked at him and he loved him. And then Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And at this, the man's face fell. Now, this is the only time in Scripture where Jesus told somebody to go sell everything they have and give it to the poor, but Jesus looked at his heart and said, you really don't want me. Your God is money. Your God is stuff. So go sell it all and follow me. And the Bible says that the man walked away sad. He left. And Jesus didn't run after him and go, hey, just kidding. You, you can do a partial commitment, you know, hey, you're 2% or whatever. You know, I, don't, I don't care. Come on, come on, come on. It's okay. Don't. Jesus let him go. He let him go. Why? Because he knew if you're partially in, at some point when things get harder, you're going to fall away. You're going to walk away. And Jesus is going, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for disciples. I'm looking for people who are going to follow me and who trust me, who want to grow in me, who want to become, who want to experience life the way I've called it to be lived. And Jesus has an incredible plan for each of us. But so often we can drift toward the crowd, can't we? You know, you notice you never drift toward the things of God. You always drift toward. Toward the things of the world. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? You, you grow in the things of God, but you drift toward the things of the world. And the crowd, we don't know who they were. We, we don't even know the rich young ruler's name, but, but boy, we know Simon Peter's name, don't we? And do you think if you would've gone to Simon Peter and go, Simon Peter, you just hold on. You follow Jesus because God has an awesome plan for you. And Peter's going, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to hang on to Jesus I'm going to hold on to him. And you think if you tried to go to St. Peter and go, Hey, St. Peter, God's going to use you. You're going to walk on water. Hey, Peter, listen, you, you're going to see miracles unfold. Hey, Peter, you're going to see the church be born. Hey, Peter, one day in Rome, there's going to be a giant basilica built in your name. And Peter will be like, What? Are you kidding me? No way. I'm just going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be obedient. Where else am I going to go? See, we don't know the rich young ruler. We don't know the crowd. But we know the disciples. Because they held on to Jesus. And they invested their lives in what really mattered. If you have a worship guide today, I want you to look at some questions. And this is just kind of a self-examination. This is for me and for all of us. Kind of, where are you today? As we conclude this series brand new, kind of, where are you? Are you partially in? Are you totally committed? Are you kind of living for the things of the world and trying to add on a little bit of God? But, but where are you today? So i got eight questions, and, and this isn't for you and anybody else. This is just you and the Lord. Kind of where are you? Number one, do you just love the blessings of Jesus, or do you love Jesus? Do you just love the blessings of Jesus, or do you love Jesus? See, a lot of people are in it for, hey, what can Jesus do, right? I want the free food. I want that. I'm, I'm all about that. But, but then when times get hard, it's like, ah, i got to go solve this myself, Do you love the blessings or just Jesus? In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Job. You've probably heard about this guy. He was a righteous man. And God had blessed him. I mean, he had a lot of stuff. He was wealthy back in this day. He had a lot of livestock. He had a lot of kids. And then one day, it was all taken away. I mean, really, it was all gone. His livestock was stolen. There was a fire. His kids were killed. And then he breaks out with these hives. And his wife looks at him and says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Thanks, honey. Yeah. Why don't you curse God and die? And what does Job say? No. Are you kidding? Should we accept good from God and not trouble? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm like, wow. Wow. I'm going to be totally committed. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to hold on to Him. Regardless of the good times and the tough times, I'm in it. And if you know the story of Job, right... Things got really hard, really bad, and then God, man, redeemed, restored. Number two is this. Are you more interested in knowing about Jesus or deeply knowing Jesus? Are you more interested in knowing about Jesus or deeply knowing Jesus? See, a lot of people want to know about Jesus. The crowd knew about Jesus. Oh, they knew about Jesus. They were all flocking there. The Pharisees knew about Jesus. Everybody in the world today knows about Jesus. The Bible even says, do you believe in God? Good. Even the demons believe in God and shudder, you know? I mean, it's not about knowing about Jesus, but the call is to know Jesus. The call is for this relationship, not religion, but a relationship and intimacy. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, the word for know is yada. Yada. And it really means this intimacy. The first time we see it, it says, Adam knew his wife, Eve. Yada, Adam, yada, his wife. There's an intimacy there. And that's what God invites you and me. It means to be fully known and fully accepted. Adam and Eve, back before the sin, back before all the things fell apart, there was this this intimacy that they had. And God's saying, I want that with you. I want to know your heart. I want you to trust me with your dreams. I want you to hold on to me in the good times and the tough times. I want a relationship. Number three, do you have a Christmas and Easter commitment? Or daily commitment. You, you know, priesters, right? They show up Christmas and Easter. It's great. It fills the place up, right? They're all, they're all here. Every church is packed on Christmas and Easter. And that's fine. I mean, you know, people are checking things out. They want to know. But, but that's not what God calls us to, right? He calls us to a daily commitment, a daily following. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 43, If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. People go, well, I don't want you know, Jesus jumping into my personal life. I don't want him getting involved like in my work or my business or my marriage or my home. He's like, hello, that's where I want to live. Because <laughs> I'm the one who can redeem. I'm the one who can restore. I can run and make all things right. Number four, do you only talk about the gospel at church? Or are you willing to share the gospel? Yeah, a lot of times we're like, well, I'll talk about Jesus at church. But, but the rest of the week, that's my part. Because my faith is private. You ever heard that? You know, my faith is private. And you're like, really? Well, that's, that's not what we see here. And I'm not saying we have to go stand on a street corner or be at the Super Bowl with a big sign, you know, John 316 or anything like that. I mean, but what it's saying is this is just, are we willing to talk about Jesus? Are we willing to pray with our spouse? Are we willing to talk with our kids about what's really important? Are we willing to pray with a coworker? Are we willing to take a step of faith or a step of obedience? Some people go, well, I don't want to get baptized because then people are going to see me with my hair wet. I'm like, really? That's your reason? Come on. Jesus hung on a cross. You know what I mean? Really? There's this call. This leads to number five. Number five, are you a spiritual consumer or a spiritual contributor? Now, we have to think about this. I have to think about this in my own life. Because a lot of times we can go, God, what can you do for me? Right? I'm a consumer. God, what can you do for me versus what can I do for you? That falls over into the church, too. What can the church do for me versus what can I do to serve the church? How can I build your kingdom? Are you a spiritual consumer or a spiritual contributor? Number six, do you tend to tip God or do you invest in his work sacrificially? A lot of times the offering basket will come by and we're like, oh, here's a tip, God. You know, here's a 20 or a 100, and God, thank you. You know, it was a great day. It was awesome. Here's a tip. Or we'll be at the store, right, and hey, I'll give a dollar to St. Jude, and here you go. I'll just give you a little tip, God. And, and and then we go and live in our giant house, and we have our cars, and we have our phones and everything else, and we think we're generous. And we're like, no, you're not. At some point, you have to look at your life and go, you know what? You are the priority, God. You've blessed me with everything I have, and I know how you asked me to give 10% back, but really it's my life. It's all yours. What do you want to do, and how do you want to use me, and what you've given to me? Number seven, do you live with more fear in your life, or do you live with more faith? Do you live with more fear, or do you live with more faith? You know what fear is, right? I mean, fear is like, uh, God, I don't know if you got this, You know, I need to make sure, God, because I don't know if you can handle this, what's going on in my life. I don't know if you can handle what's going on in our world or our country, God. I don't know if you can handle it, and I'm afraid. And so we live with this fear. Instead of going, you know what, I'm going to live with faith. God is sovereign. God's in control. I'm going to trust him. It doesn't mean that there's times that we don't have some fear that wells up inside of us, but, but it means that we live in our life by faith. God, you've called me. God, you are true, and you are sure, and my life is in you. And my marriage is in you. My kids are in you. And I'm going to hold on to you, God. I'm not going to live by fear. I'm going to live by faith. And then number eight, do you only want Jesus when you die? Or <laughs> are you willing to live your life for him? There's a lot of people, it's like Jesus is the fire insurance policy, right? I don't have to go to hell. You know, i got my fire insurance policy because i got a little bit of Jesus. But, but Jesus, I don't want to live for you. I don't want my whole life to be changed because of you. And Jesus is going, oh, come on, be totally committed, superman it, sell out, because that's where it's fun, that's where your spiritual life comes alive. Trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. And living a life of obedience, living a life of service, wow, that's where you see God do the miracles. You know, in the Old Testament, if you were a servant of someone, after seven years, you would be free. God ordained it so that people, you know, you had to be a servant, and then you were a part of that, and God made a place for people to be free. But it says in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 16, it says, but if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and all is well off with you, right? You're serving and you're doing this, and then it becomes more of this relationship, and you're like, but I love you. I love this. I love what you're doing. This is incredible, then take an awe and push it through the earlobe in the door, and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your maidservant. And I think God's just saying, "Hey, trust me, follow me, serve me out of love, out of obedience." But watch, watch what I'll do. Watch what I'll do. If you've been reading our daily step as a church, we've been reading through. We're in the book of Revelation now, and, and Revelation. Uh, The Apostle John gets this glimpse into heaven, and he looks in and he hears Jesus speak to the churches, and Jesus says this to the church in Laodicea, the church in Laodicea, Laodicea was a wealthy place, and yet here's what, here's what he says, he says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen, capital A, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, exclamation point. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And Jesus just says, hey, pick a side. Either be all in or, or don't. But don't just be lukewarm. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, right? Because our faith and our trust is in possessions or money. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He's like, spiritually, you're missing out. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. See, when God speaks to us, he does it out of love. The people who love us in life say, hey, wait a minute, your your life, you're heading off a different direction. Whoa, hold on. So be earnest and repent. And then look at verse 20. Verse 20 a lot of times is used out of context. Verse 20 is used a lot of times to talk to unbelievers. But it was written to the church. Here I am, exclamation point. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says, all you have to do is open the door. Here I am. I'm knocking. I'm saying, listen, I want to be the Lord of your life. I want you to be totally committed. I want you to follow me. I have a great life for you. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. In the ancient world, man, if you shared a meal with somebody, that was intimacy. I mean, you, you were right there and Jesus is going, I want to be the Lord of your life. I love you. See, discipleship, discipleship is not simply about information. And it's not about behavior modification there's a lot of moral people who are far from Jesus discipleship is about transformation it's about us being brand new in Christ that the old is gone and the new has come that we live for Him and for His name and for His glory Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 it says therefore I urge you dear brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God for this is your spiritual act of worship Worship isn't just coming in and singing, you know, four songs and going, okay, great, I'll see you next week, Jesus, you know. Worship is our lives, offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, verse 2, but be transformed, right? Be different, be changed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what's important to you, what you value, the renewing of your mind, so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that you and I can know what God wants us to do. That you and I can know how God wants us to live. So many people, I believe, in our culture in our day, they're living for retirement. I mean, really, their whole life is built around retirement. All my 401Ks, all my, you know, golden years, everything's going to be built for retirement. No, 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 listen. Your life should be built around Jesus. <laughs> your life should be lived, built around living for Christ from now on everything in our lives should be saying i want to live my life for his name and for his glory and not simply retirement not just making it through not just stumbling over the finish line and just going okay i'll wake up you know one day and i'll realize what matters but living my life for him one day i stood at an altar at a church and i stood there with my wife lisa and she placed a ring on my finger And I placed a ring on hers. And she didn't put this ring on my finger and say, hey, if you'll be faithful to me part of the time, that'd be great, you know? If you'll love me when you feel like it, that'd be great. You know, if you're in this relationship, kind of, you know, when it feels good to you, that'd be great. She didn't do that. She put this ring on my finger, and I put a ring on hers, for better, for worse. (laughs) For richer, for poorer, sickness, and in health, forsaking all others. You see, when Jesus calls you, and calls me to be a disciple. He's wanting us to be totally committed. Not just the free food, but to follow, to trust, to walk with him. So are you a part of the crowd, or are you a disciple? It's easy to be a part of the crowd, right? But the spiritual life is lived as a disciple. That's where the fun is. It's easy to sit up in the warm car and eat the goldfish and play on the iPad and watch as everybody else kind of lives it and does it. But there's something different when you get out of the car and you get into the game. And I believe so many people want to stand on the sidelines with their uniform nice and clean or to sit up in the stands and to kind of cheer on everybody. And and, and yet God's going, no, come on. Jump in. And we're always like, well, I don't know enough. I might say the wrong thing. I I don't know about this whole Christianity thing. I'm just kind of a new believer here. I'm just starting out. He's going, come on. Don't forget about me. Right? You have five loaves and two fish, but don't forget about me. Let me be the Lord of your marriage. Let me be the Lord of your family. Let me be the Lord of your life. Let me be the Lord of your career. Let me be the Lord of your eternity. Let me be the Lord. And trust me. Get in the game. Teddy Roosevelt wrote this. He said, It's not the critic that counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly." so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Wow. Peter, John, these disciples who said, we're going to live it. Even when everybody walks away, we're going to live it for the glory of God. And that's the journey God invites us on. And that's what it means to be brand new and to live our lives for him. So where are you today Jesus on the night that he was betrayed he brought his disciples together he didn't bother with the crowd he brought his disciples together and he said guys things are gonna get rough things might get hard but you hold on to me and you trust me and he took some bread and he broke it and he said God this is my body broken for you. You Remember back in John 6 when I was teaching about this? (laughs) This is my body broken for you. And after supper he took the cup and he said this is the new covenant. My blood poured out for you. I'm giving it all for you. Right? I'm sacrificing for you because I love you. I love you and I don't want to spend eternity apart from you. And so as disciples we're gathered today and we've come to share communion the Lord's Supper. I'm going to invite some of our A6 guys, some of our spiritual leaders here at church. And they're going to make their ways to the table. They'll be around. and I'm going to invite you to come. To so come to the table. There's two tables in the back. There's two tables on the side. There's a gluten-free table over here. Another table over here. And when you come today, to, to just think about, where am I spiritually? Am I... Totally committed? Am I part of the crowd or am I disciple? Am I following? Am I trusting? Am I growing? As you pray, just break off a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you. Dip into the cup, His blood poured out for you. Remember what God has done for you. And then receive what only God can give, His grace, His mercy, His love. He loves you. And this is our time to worship. This is our time to respond. If you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, that's what these guys around this room are for. Just pull them to the side and say, hey, would you pray with me? Pray for me. But let's worship right now. Father, thank you. Thank you that you call us for so much more. (laughs) Not just simply for free food that's going to last for a little bit and then we'll be hungry six hours later our bodies will wear out and die but God you have called us for eternal life you have called us on a journey God you want to do great things more than we could imagine and so father we commit our lives to you today anew and afresh to live our lives as disciples not as a crowd and draw us close to your heart today father Fill us with your spirit and use us for your glory. We love you Jesus so we come to your table right now. In the name of Christ we pray and we come, amen, amen.